right. Um, so thanks for coming tonight, guys. We are uh, starting kind of – last week was kind of the introduction to the whole thing, and so now we're starting our first series. So this is series going to be called um, 20 Questions, the Basics Every Christian Should Know. <coughs> so if you heard me talk yesterday, let me give you the same caveat. I've got a little bit of cold, so I apologize if I'm coughing a little bit. But the idea here is we're going to go through the basics of Christian doctrine over – There'll be 20 lessons on it. We won't do it all in one semester. We'll kind of break it up. We'll do like four or five and then take a break, talk about some other things and come back. But if you, if you hang in there, you'll, we'll talk about all of Christian doctrine. So we'll talk about election. We'll talk about adoption. We'll talk about angels and demons. We'll talk about heaven. We'll talk about creation and all the kind of the questions you might ask. We'll go through all of it. So <clears throat> like we said last week, if you kind of hang in there, you kind of in the middle of dental and, and medical school, you also can go to seminary. So we'll get <laughs> JV seminary, I guess. So 20, 20 questions of basics every Christian should know. So these are topics. What is the Bible? What is God like? What is the Trinity? Um, what is election? What is heaven? What is the final judgment? We'll talk about kind of the basics of, of Christian doctrine. There'll be 20 different lessons, and we'll break those up so it'll, it won't get too monotonous. <coughs> so, if we're going to do series, let's just kind of think about what we're trying to accomplish in this series. So, I want to say three things. The first is, uh, I hope at the end, after we've gone through everything, that you're able to understand, articulate, and you're blank there, and defend the basic truths of the Christian faith. And I think this is so important. There's so many people that have gone to church for decades, and um, you ask them, what is Christianity? And you'd get a really kind of superficial, like moral, even like relativistic answer. It's, it's about God helping me to, to live a good life and find, find everyone find happiness in their own way or something. And I'm not saying that answer is wrong, but that just misses kind of the whole story. And so I think it's important that um, as you're a Christian, um, you don't just... You grow in your faith, and so you're able to articulate what it means to be a Christian. And then I think we say this all the time. So I don't really see this as necessarily as negative as it sounds, but as parts of our culture become less Christian, and we're um, maybe not a persecuted minority like Christians are in other parts of the world, but definitely the uh, the cultural dominance of Christianity has changed over the past ten years, and I think will probably continue to change in the future. So I think it's going to be important in the workplace that we're able to, with graciousness and kindness, defend what it is that we believe. And there's good ways to do that. And so I, I think both understanding what Christians believe and why we believe it is an important part of living out the Christian life, especially you know in 2019 um, America. Second thing I'm going to say is it's going to be a patient process. So we show, like, there's a lot of material. There's going to be 20 lessons, 21 lessons, counting this one. So, like, just don't get in a rush. We'll, we'll get there. We're going to get through all of it and just show up on Monday night, eat eat dinner together, and then we'll get through it. And you'll look up, you know, 12, 18 months from now and be like, man, I've heard a lesson on all of Christian doctrine. Uh, so it's going to take a little bit, but that's okay. We've got a plan, and we'll be patient, and we'll get through it. <coughs> then the third goal is I hope that this strengthens um, your faith, both individually and as a community. Such so your blanks there, individually and as a community. Actually, knowing what Christianity teaches, I think is is one of the best anecdotes for kind of this um, lack of of confidence and kind of really surface level doubt you see in a lot of Christians. So maybe no one has ever challenged your faith before, and so then the first time you hear someone even like a superficial, weak kind of objection to Christianity, well, you don't even really know what Christianity is, so it's, it, you're just, it's kind of hard to withstand any a- attack or counter-argument against uh, the faith. And so I, I think actually 
you don't even have to learn how to defend it yet. Just understand what it is. I think that helps you grow in your faith. And then I think it also helps build a community. So then we know <clears throat> we know what we share, right? So we know what is the worldview, what is the system of beliefs that we share, and we get together on Monday night. So maybe there's some differences about us. We have different hobbies or different professions or whatever. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities in this room. But there's some differences, but we know like what unites us is is the Christian faith. So you got to understand what that is. Otherwise, you're going to end up being, you become a country club. You're united by all the things the rest of the world's united by. So, what is doctrine? What is doctrine? Oh, yeah, of course. I can catch you up there. The first blank is defend, then individually, and community. All right, what is doctrine? So I th- this is a, a good definition, I think, is doctrine is what the church believes and teaches. Okay, so let's kind of unpack that a little bit. But the Christian doctrine is what the Christian church believes and what the Christian church teaches. <coughs> so when we did this lesson in class, I don't know if I didn't say this right or whatever, we like got in a little, like not controversy, but like, kind of argued about it for a minute in class. So let me try to unpack this again, and I'll try to do a better job, try to be clear. The first thing I'd say is that Christian doctrine starts with the Bible as the ultimate authority. So I want to be clear that that is what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's no other authority. Christian doctrine always starts with the Bible. So we unpack what is true about the world and the Christian worldview by what the Bible teaches. So in Actually, the very next lesson is what is the Bible in this series. And so that's an important thing to understand. What is the Bible? Where did it come from? Why should we trust it? And um, But I think it's important to put our cards on the table. First premise, or not first premise, but a presupposition of the, of the Christian worldview is a, a, an understanding that the Bible is authoritative. So what the Bible teaches is, is going to be the, the foundation for Christian doctrine. But, of course, that's not the whole story, right? Because there's a lot of people who believe the Bible, who see things a little bit differently. There's some people who even see how we should view the Bible as authoritatively differently. So we want to bring into the conversation a, um, a wise approach to understanding how tradition, reason, and experience would fit in with doctrine. So if you were sitting in a class on what is doctrine or... Um, you know, if you're at the Harding Grad School of Theology in town or whatever, they would talk about this. They talk about the the doctrine starts with the Bible, but it also includes tradition, reason, and experience. So why is that? Well, tradition for people in our age bracket is not a popular word, right? You see, we in fact I think in a lot of ways we associate tradition with like error. <laughs> like, oh, that's just tradition, as if that means it's false. And of course we have a lot of traditions that are false. <clears throat> but I think there's something to be said about um, tradition in the life of the church and understanding what is true by thinking and understanding what people who trusted in the Bible before have, in, have come to find truth in in their community. So we, we rely on how uh, previous Christians of previous ages have thought through these questions. Then reason, I think Christians, we don't leave our brain outside the church building when we start to look at Scripture. So we want to bring to the text, the God-given gift of your reason, and you want to use that. And third is your experience. You want to think about how you live life and the way that God and, and the Holy Spirit has worked in your life to bring and reveal truth to you. All that being said, I think it's important to say that tradition can be a great source of error. A great source of error. Um, reason can be a great source of error. The idea that you can find truth with reason alone 
is in fact cannot be reasonably proven. You can't prove that with reason alone. And it, it leads to a lot of, of pain and false choices. We can maybe talk about that later, but you can't set reason as like the apex uh, of human thought in, in the pursuit of truth. And then of course experience is going to leave you in kind of a relativistic um, place where you're going to have a hard time understanding what any truth is because it's all going to be relative. It's going to be based on your experience versus my experience. So let's bring those things to the table. Let's include them in the conversation. Let's not say, oh, that's just your reason. That's just tradition. That's just your experience. Let's include those in the conversation. But let's also say, at the end of the day, Scripture is going to sit above those other elements. And we're only going to consider our reason, church tradition, and our own experiences as far as they're consistent with the Word of God. Okay, and then I think we want to also be humble about this, and we want to acknowledge there are some ways to interpret the text differently, and we don't have to throw everyone out of the church because they disagree a little bit with how we read one text or the other. And we'll talk about that, what, what that means in a second. Okay, so um, having said that, I kind of want to throw this out there. What are the strengths and weaknesses of using tradition, reason, and experience as sources of doctrine? <coughs> else we'll press on here so some of this is some of the stuff i actually said last night so i promise we won't make the same or last week we won't make these same points every week but i think it's important and it's it's is essential as we start talking about doctrine because there's going to be some differences in how christians interpret doctrine so what do we do with that so jesus has this great prayer in the garden right before the crucifixion he's praying that his people would be one but there's people who love jesus who who honestly believe the Bible and want to view the Bible as authoritative, um, who read it kind of differently, read a passage view differently. So how do we handle that? So the way that I, I've seen an outline that I think is the most helpful is that you view doctrines in three, three different levels. Okay, So we've got primary doctrines, secondary doctrines, and tertiary doctrines. And so as we categorize these doctrines, we'll see that there's a different goal for the, the different doctrines. So the first is primary doctrine. And the goal of primary doctrines is unity. The goal is unity. <coughs> so I think I referenced this last week, but we're not going to have diversity of thought or diversity of opinion in the church about if God exists or not, or if Jesus is divine, or if Jesus rose from the dead, right? There, there are some issues that we can kind of talk about and debate about, maybe even split over. Um, well, I guess this would be something we would split over, right? If you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian, Right? And we welcome you. You come worship with us. We we'll kind of walk along life together. But you're not a member of our church, and you're not a, you're not a Christian. We're going to be unified on these primary doctrines because they're essential. They're essential. There's what it means to be a Christian, and if what it means to be a Christian is nothing, then then the name is meaningless, right? If you're a Christian because you call yourself one, but you don't believe anything distinct or specific uh, to the Christian faith, then you're not a Christian. So that's what a primary doctrine is. So I said that there are some things that all Christians must believe. If you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. <clears throat> then there's secondary doctrines. The goal of these doctrines would be both grace and conviction. Grace and conviction. So why grace? Grace because these are doctrines that Christians can disagree on. Right? So um, you can still be a Christian and disagree with me on a whole list of things. Um, you know, we don't have to kick you out of the faith. Whereas you're not a Christian if you don't if you disagree on on some issues. These would be issues that you can disagree on, um, and we still need to be gracious to each other. But I think it's important to have conviction. So you should be honest about what 
um, you believe Scripture is teaching, and you should be prepared to have a, a bold, courageous conviction, but be gracious with people who disagree with you. So, um, I think of a good example here. If you think, <coughs> trying to think of a good example that won't <laughs> that no one in the room will disagree like about. Baptism. Well, that's what I was thinking about. So yeah, let's do that then. The Lord's Supper. Yeah. The Lord's Supper would be better. That'd be so. If you think that the that the New Testament teaches that all Christians should take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, then you ought to believe that, and you ought to go to church that takes the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and you ought to not be embarrassed about it, right? And I think there's good reasons to believe that, but there's also arguments on the other side that say, well, maybe you don't have to take it every Sunday, but it's just kind of a part of the life of the church, and you take it kind of intermittently. And if you if you believe that, then you ought to believe that. And both sides should be gracious to each other. We're not kicking anyone out of the out of the, the faith because you believe the wrong thing about when to take the Lord's Supper. And if you want to know what the right thing is, we can. I'll talk to you afterwards. I'll <laughs> no, that's the attitude we don't want to have, right? We want to be gracious to someone who disagrees with us. But being gracious to someone who disagrees with doesn't mean that you don't believe something, right? That's like the sin of relativism. Well, I guess no one knows. So it doesn't matter. No, it matters. And so have conviction about it. <coughs> There are important distinctions that Christians can gracefully disagree over. All right, then third will be tertiary doctrines. So they, I would say in a tertiary doctrine, the goal is community. And so these are the doctrines that you hear about these goofy church splits over. Famously in our tradition, apparently, I can't even, it's almost embarrassing to like tell these stories now, but apparently, like in the 1930s and 40s, there's a big argument about kitchens. Like, can a church have a kitchen? And like, these churches like splitting over this. Well, no one had a kitchen in the Bible, and so they're like splitting churches over a kitchen. And that's goofy, right? That's a that's an inappropriately understanding the the level and importance of a doctrine, right? And so, if you have a tertiary disagreements, the goal is going to be a community. So, if you disagree on what the millennia is, um, you need you still you still need to go to church together, right? You don't need to go start a church down the street because you disagree about the millennia. And so, we want to work to prevent these distinctions from causing unnecessary divisions. And sometimes that can happen in church because if you believe something real strongly and it's real important to you and somebody who's really similar to you has you have a disagreement with, it can really make you mad. And it's kind of interesting. You look at world history, the most... That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, uh, the most common like wars in world history are actually between nations that are very similar. I don't know if you guys have... I read a book about this one time, but it's, it's interesting. People, you get more angry when someone that you're very similar with, you have a disagreement with, than somebody who you're radically different from because you disagree on everything, right? And so these tertiary ideas sometimes cause like church splits, where it's like I'm never going to have a church split with like a, a, the Russian Orthodox, you know? Like we like we we split like in 400. I mean, really, you know what I'm saying? So like there's a huge split a long time ago. I'm not. I don't even get mad when we dis- they like, you know. Like the Episcopal Church in America, they pass something. It's like, well, you know, there they go again. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even like bother me. But if you know somebody from my tradition, like, posts something on Twitter or on Facebook, I'm like, oh, you know, dead gummit. What's what's wrong with this person? And so I think we want to fight to keep those tertiary disagreements from causing division. Okay. And so the last thing I want to say about this, I think this is important. I think prayerful Bible study, right? So we want to be in the Word as. As we're making these distinctions, that's what I'm talking about here, is how do you decide what goes in which bucket? you got three buckets. you got your primary bucket, your secondary bucket, your tertiary bucket. Then an important question is, now once we define what it means to be in each bucket, what goes where? Where does baptism go? Where does leadership roles go? Where does worship styles go? Where does uh, the doctrine of election go? How do you think through what to put in what bucket? And so I'd say prayerful Bible study, 
then Christian wisdom and meaningful community are required to discern which ideas belong in each category. <clears throat> so that's a little more subjective answer than I would like to give. I wish I could say, well, 3 Corinthians chapter 1 lists which things go in which bucket. But, you know, we don't have that <laughs> book in the Bible yet. So there's going to have to be some spirit-led wisdom that I want to encourage you to do in community. You don't try to figure out all the mysteries of the Christian faith by yourself. It's not Christianity is not meant to be an individual sport. We're meant to do this as a team and think through together how to how to work through controversies like this. So what role should Scripture play? This is our discussion question number two. What role should Scripture play in determining the authority of church teaching and mission? So why should we even study doctrine? So I'm going to make four kind of brief points here. Everyone has a worldview. We want ours to be shaped by the Word of God. <clears throat> so as Christians, we're committed to certain views about reality. We've talked about some of those. Um, so there are certain things that, um, as a Christian, we, we believe. That's what it means to be a Christian. So think about Ephesians 4, 13-15. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, scripture, scribble that text down. I think that's a great text for what a theologically mature church would look like. We're not going to be influenced back and forth by the waves of cunning teaching, um, crafty crafty people who are saying things that are deceitful. We're not going to just be like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Someone presents a new idea and we throw the whole, or, we throw orthodoxy out the window. No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to speak the truth to each other, but we're going to do it in love. We're going to be loving in how we talk to each other. And we're going to grow in every respect to be the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. We're not trying to grow into being um, a doctrinally sophisticated person who can live life at another level. Ultimately, we want to grow together into Christ. That's, that's the ultimate goal of good doctrine, not to be smarter, but to be Christ-like. First um, Titus 1.9 says, He must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to... Con- confront those who contradict it to confront those who contradict it um, so this, these are instructions for elders so if you want to be an elder you need to be able to hurt, hold firm to the word as it was taught and you need to be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and confront those who contradict it second reason we want to study doctrine what you believe determines how you behave so I think this is really interesting <clears throat> all of Paul's letters follow the same form, format the first half of the letter is dry doctrine. It almost would be like kind of boring depending on what kind of mood you're in. But Romans 1 through 8 is like doctrine. It's not boring. It's awesome. But the first eight chapters of Romans are doctrine. The first three chapters of Galatians 
doctrine. The first three chapters of Ephesians, it's doctrine. It's really thick, heady stuff. The second half of the, of the letter is always practical application. So Paul says, this is true, so now this. And he says, this is how you live. So because this is true in Ephesians 2, wives and husbands, here's how you live together in Ephesians 5. Right? He says, um, because this is true, Galatians 1, 2, and 3, now live like this, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Right? That, that's the way that Paul argues. I think that's why one of the reasons doctrine is so important is what you really believe is going to determine how you behave, right? And I don't mean what you say you believe. I mean what you really believe. So I can deter- I can tell who you are by the fruit of your life. And Jesus taught that. They'll know them by their fruits. And um, that that's true in your life too. And that's why it's so important that we have good doctrine. Here's what William Lane Craig said. So if we want to live correctly for Christ as his disciples, we need to first think correctly about Christ. If your thinking is skewed and off base, it's going to affect your life and your Christian discipleship. So if you get confused about important aspects of who Christ is, you're not going to grow into maturity in Christ, and you're going to, you're going to be stunted in your discipleship. Third reason, we want to love God with all our minds. So think about this. This guy asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment, right? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, you know, that makes sense, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I may be making like too much of this. Maybe maybe this is just kind of a, um, what's the what's the word here? For like a, yeah, an, an idiom to say, Jesus is just saying, love God with everything. Maybe that's kind of the explanation here. But maybe if you break it down, you think, well, Jesus is saying love God with your heart and with your soul. <coughs> and here's a commandment to love God with your mind. So maybe that's not the right way to think about it, but I do think it's a helpful way to think about it. And the idea here is that one of the best ways to love God with your mind is to value, study, and learn His truth. So I think all of us in this room have been blessed in a bunch of different ways. But one of the ways is you can think you can think well, right? You, that's why you're in school. That's why you're you know, doing whatever it is that you're doing. You're smart, right? Get smart people in this room. And so one of the things you ought to do is take the blessings God has given you and love Him with those blessings. So if you have a mind that can think through things, then spend some time thinking through the things of God. That's a way that you can love God with all your mind. So that's another reason to study doctrine. Be lazy with your Christianity. Don't be lazy in your job. Don't be lazy in your um, relationships with uh, your spouse. Don't be lazy in your parenting. Don't be lazy in your faith. Spend some effort investing in what it is that you say is the most important thing in your life. I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, you guys are here on Monday night. And... <clears throat> okay, fourth, why study doctrine? To protect truth in your heart and in Christ's church. So this is also in 2 Timothy. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. That's a scary sounding verse because I think you can almost like see some of that happening. I guess you could probably have said that in every generation, but in our generation you can definitely see that happening. And so one of the reasons we want to be strong in doctrine is because when this happens... We want to have some disciples of Jesus in the audience that, to say, that's not true. That's not right. That's, that's an incorrect teaching about Christ. Jesus wouldn't do that or say that. That's not what he said or taught. But if no one's reading the Bible, if no one's investing in doctrine, if no one's trying to pursue God through tradition, reason, and experience, and ultimately through Scripture to think through what doctrine is, what the church should teach and believe, then we're really going to be exposed to being manipulated and becoming the followers of something uh, that's not eternal but that's temporary. <clears throat> 
and used by teachers who are trying to suit their own desires and gather around them a great number of people uh, that will listen to what um, they're saying. <coughs> Which leads us to our last discussion question. Well, there's the deceiver. Oh, so yeah, this is there is a deceiver who hates you and the church intensely. There's a deceiver who hates you in the church intensely. It's a weird thing to say in 2019. We don't think spiritual. It almost sounds like a, something you would see in like a Harry Potter movie. But it's true. There's, there's someone who hates you and is working against you to, to screw up your future, to screw up your discipleship, to screw up your marriage, to screw up um, the things that God has planned for your life. And so we want to be aware of Christian doctrine so that when we're attacked by the deceiver, we're not, we're not tempted to fall away and let him destroy the church. So last discussion question. And, <clears throat> and don't be afraid to say no. Because I, I do think there are Christians in 2019 who would answer this question no. And I think it's reasonable to, to talk it out in, in a graceful way. But is doctrine important? Why or why not? 